Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. Poland is in the midst of a democratic backslide. The country is ruled by the far-right Law and Justice Party, which has embarked on a series of moves to curb the independence of the judiciary and the free press. This has put Poland on a collision course with the European Union, of which it is a member, but it has also earned the government the praise and support of Donald Trump. Indeed, Trump visited Poland this summer and delivered a rabble-rousing speech appealing directly to right-wing elements in Polish politics. So how did we get here, and how threatened is liberal democracy in the heart of Europe? On the line with me to discuss the situation in Poland and why what happens in Poland matters to the rest of the world is Konstanty Gebert. He is an associate fellow at the European Council for Foreign Relations and an international reporter and columnist at Gazeti Verbosza, Poland's largest daily publication. He was also a speaker at the Humanity in Action International Conference in Berlin this year. And we have a wide-ranging conversation about the history of Poland, current politics in Poland, and how and why Polish civil society might yet push back against the excesses of this right-wing government. So I learned a lot from this conversation. I suspect you will, too. Konstanty does an excellent job of explaining Polish politics to people who know nothing about Polish politics like me. Just a quick note before we begin, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. I know I've received a lot of new followers, new subscribers over the past few weeks. Thank you for listening. You can go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out our archives. We have a really robust archive of conversations with foreign policy thought leaders and newsmakers who discuss their life and career. I would suggest you kind of scan through those, find a name or two you recognize, a name or two you don't, and listen to their stories. They're they're usually pretty good. I Frankly, they're all pretty good. I, I'm really proud of what I'm able to put out there week after week. Uh, to those of you who are premium subscribers who support the show, thank you. If you've not received all the rewards that you want or are entitled to, including a complimentary subscription to my Don's Digest Global news clip service. This is a collection of the most important news from around the world that I and a partner send out to inboxes every weekday morning. Then just send me uh, an email. You can use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com or email me directly and I will make sure you are signed up for that. All right. And now here is my conversation with Konstanty Gebert. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, it's an extremely unfortunate combination of a number of factors. 
the the Polish political scene ever since um, the peaceful end of communism in 1989 was uh, always roughly dominated by three political forces, um, the liberal forces and the conservative forces that were born of the Solidarity Movement, which overthrew communism, and the post-communist forces that were still allowed to function. Mm -hmm. And what happened in the parliamentary elections three years ago is that um, the left wing, which had been until now largely represented by the post-communist party, uh, became very bitterly split between the post-communists and the new non-communist left. And because the two parties couldn't stand each other, they neatly split the 9% left-wing vote between them, giving each of them 4.5% uh, of the It's vote. like the, the, the narcissism of small differences kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point is, the electoral threshold is 5%. Mm-hmm. This means that for the first time since 89, we have a parliament without the left wing and the votes wasted on the left wing strengthen the position of the conservative party that emerged victorious from the elections and because of that gained an absolute majority in, the, in parliament. There was no dramatic shift of allegiance by Polish voters. But um, a quirk of the voting system gave the conservatives the upper hand. Hmm. And um, they started doing what they said they will not do, which is they launched a total onslaught on the liberal state. Previously, they had been in power for two years, between 2005 and 2007. They got kicked out of power because of an early election they lost. And they lost it because um, the country reacted very strongly against their first, at that time, timid attempt to take over the liberal state. So they learned the lesson, which is they must start immediately and attack everything. And this is what they have been very consistently doing for the last two years. Um, Their electoral support remains stable. mainly because um, they also engaged in a major program of social redistribution. They've been paying out the very generous welfare benefits to families with children, um, which is an extremely positive thing to do, except that they have no funding for it. Hmm. Um, so so it's, it's a populist kind of, kind of move, yes. but, but, you know, you describe this group and, and the, it's the, the law and justice party you're describing as yeah. as conservative, but I, you know, to me, it seems that they're outside the bounds, though, of even conservatism. They are, they, they are this weird thing, the conservative radicals. Um, this might sound like an oxymoron, but we've seen parties with oxymoronic designations like national socialists take power, uh. and here we've got a party which essentially says that it wants to return Poland to its true essence, which is what conservatives usually say. But because this true essence has been so adulterated, it needs to engage in radical reform. 
And this radical reform means they've already destroyed public media. They've com- taken them over completely, firing some 220 journalists in the process. And today, Polish public media are propaganda tube in the same league as um, Turkish or Russian public media. Um, they've completely dismissed the parliamentary opposition, um, which has been reduced to asking um, for written text of draft laws they're supposed to vote on and told, you won't get them because your vote doesn't ma- matter anyway, since um, the ruling party has an absolute majority in parliament. Um, they have passed this year's budget by calling a meeting of the parliamentary caucus of their party and then relabeling it a plenary session of parliament and passing the budget there. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's just right, like shenanigans that they would use. But I, I guess yeah. my question is, you know, you have lots of conservative parties throughout Europe, you know, from like Theresa May in, in the UK and, and, you know, other parties elsewhere that are conservative, but they don't attack the fundamental institutions of the state in a way that it seems that this cohort is doing so in Poland. Why is it that they're able to do this and, and able to seemingly get away with it so far? Well, essentially, because we've been a democratic country only since 89. Um, the Polish state is relatively weak, and civil servants um, do not believe that their allegiance to the state supersedes their political opinions or affiliations, or that the state can protect them um, if they make the wrong political decisions by trying to remain loyal to the founding values of the state. Um, The American state is resisting much more strongly similar attacks on it by the Trump administration, but you have 200 years. Um, we've had less than 30. Uh, come again, 170, and um, we'll be just as tough and just as strong if we survive that long. Yeah, if, if, if you can make it past this threat. Exactly. Well, I mean, do this you think, and then the successive yeah. ones. I mean, do, do you think you, the, the Polish you know, system, the liberal democratic system in Poland, will, will survive this? Um, it's, it's a moot question. Because the interesting thing is that while it has been relatively easy for them to take over the institutions of the state, um, those institutions have not fallen into the kind of slavish obedience that an authoritarian government expects. For example, we've been having huge protest demonstrations ever since uh, Robin Justice took power some of them involving a quarter million people out on the streets. And the police have been, almost without exception, eminently civilized. Um, they've been doing, following their orders, but doing so with a marked lack of enthusiasm because apparently there still is an institutional memory inside the institution that reminds them what happened last time when they were the loyal servants of the regime, which is under communism, and the price that simple cops have to pay for that. Uh, so they, they cannot, even if they wanted to, 
they will not forge the next elections. They will not falsify the result because they do not have the personnel to do it. Mm-hmm. But if they manage to win the next elections, and again, this is a moot question. It comes down to the economic cost of, of their policies. Uh, if they manage to win them, then that gives them another four years. And what will happen in the elections after that largely depends on what kind of Europe will we have around us. Had this been the problem of the periphery, Poland, Hungary, then we might say, well, um, these are growing pains. Um, it's tough for the poor people, for the citizens of those countries. But Europe is moving forward and the periphery will catch up. But I don't think we've won the war in Europe against the different forms of the radical threat to the liberal state. Um, everybody loves Emmanuel Macron, but Macron was um, elected in the second round with only 44% of the French bothering to go to the polls. A majority of the French boycotted the system. Everybody breathed a sigh of relief when Wilders lost the elections in the Netherlands that everybody expected him to win. Beautiful. But this happened only because the Christian Democrats took over half of Wilders' program. Mm-hmm. Another victory like that, and we're doomed. Yeah, yeah. It's that co-opting of the far-right agenda that you do see happening yeah. um, um, mm-hmm. uh, throughout throughout much of Europe. But this question of... Um, the, the sort of distance between the Polish government and the European uh, Union seems to be crystallized almost in the personal relationship between Donald Tusk, who was the former prime minister of, of Poland and a liberal, versus Kaczynski, the, the current uh, leader, de facto leader, right, of, of yeah. uh, Poland, uh, who is a domestic political rival. How, how is that dynamic shaping things, in, in your opinion? Well, it goes beyond the personal hatred that Kaczynski has for Donald Tusk. Kaczynski um, seems to to believe uh, his party's propaganda that the tragic air accident in which his twin brother, then president of Poland, Lech Kaczynski, died when his plane crashed during a state visit to Russia in April 2010. Um, He seems to believe against all evidence that this was not an accident, it was a dastardly plot by the Russians with the collusion of the Polish government in a spectacular display of of hatred. Um, Ten days ago in the Polish parliament, Kaczynski took the rostrum without even asking for the floor, and of course the speaker allowed him, and he started screaming at the opposition, yelling, I quote, you destroyed my brother and you murdered him. You are all scum. And then he called in an opposition deputy to inform him they're all going to jail, pointing to the opposition MPs. Um, there, he is clearly a man not in control of his mental faculties. And his hatred of Donald Tusk is pathological. But this goes beyond the personal hatred. Um, Kaczynski sees the European Union not as a boon for Poland, but as a threat. Poland has progressed spectacularly ever since it joined the Union in 2004. 
But Kaczynski believes that the Union is just a front for Germany, and Germany is out there to destroy Poland. Um, therefore, his policy seems to be to milk the EU for what it's worth, and then to ignore it, um, since the EU is really Germany writ large. Mm-hmm. Now, this, of course, is paranoia. Um, Speaking um, to an American audience, I don't have to to tell you that paranoia can become the dominant political force in an advanced democracy, because unfortunately your example proves it as well. Yes, there's a famous Um, book called The Paranoid Style of American Politics. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But clearly what Kaczynski wants to do is to ruin our relationship with the EU beyond repair. You cannot go for a poll exit since Poland is the most pro-European country of all the 28, well, now almost 27, given the Brexit. Yeah, yeah, because like like na- national polling in Poland suggests like that the EU is wildly popular, some like 70% yes. approval rating, even though yeah, as, the, as the, the, said, the leadership is the in most charge. pro-European country. Mm-hmm. So for good reason, right? I mean, for, for, I mean, it, it's been like a, an economic boom, of course, and also Poles now get to travel everywhere in Europe and, and work everywhere in Europe. Yes, but beyond that, it's a kind of symbolic vindication. We're back where we belong. Mm-hmm. We've been stuck in the East. We've been stuck under Russian occupation. We've been denied our legitimate membership. We're now back in Europe. And then, frankly... For a country stuck between Germany and Russia, um, one has to become the ally of one in order to be able to resist the other. And since Kaczynski wants us clearly to break with the EU, this, in the optimistic scenario, leaves us alone facing an ever more aggressive Russia, or possibly Kaczynski actually dreams uh, that Russia will be a better ally for Poland than Germany. The Polish right wing historically has been always pro-Russian because its fear of Germany was greater than its fear of Russia. In the 20th century, um, they were very unhappy because um, all the good ideas came from Germany in the 30s, but they had to hate Germany because this was the program. And when Russia became the dominant power over Poland, they couldn't really like that because um, of all the wrong ideas coming from a communist Russia. Hmm. But now we've got a degenerate liberal Germany that Poland has good ideological reasons to hate, and a resurgent authoritarian Christian Russia that is implementing a program that Kaczynski would want to implement in Poland. So my fear is that in the long run... um, this is a conscious choice of Russia over Europe, of authoritarianism over liberalism. Um, and that might cost us the huge civilizational progress that we've made over the last 25 years and our liberties. And, and it seems that some of these points of fract- friction between Poland and the EU have manifested themselves pretty recently. One is, is this question of judicial independence, which was a, a pretty big deal. And that, that made a lot of news here in the United States was this um, movement to perhaps, what is it, subvert the judiciary to the whims of the uh, Law and Justice Party. Can you talk a, a little bit about 
what that move was, how um, Europe responded to it, and why uh, eventually the president of, of Poland decided not to enact these reforms. Well, the ruling party tried to uh, bulldoze through parliament three bills that would give um, the prosecutor general the right to appoint and dismiss the justices of the Supreme Court, appoint and dismiss the presidents of courts. Essentially, um, he would become the supreme power over the judiciary. Um, dozens of thousands of Poland, of Poles all over the country, in 250 cities, towns, and localities, protested against this in a spontaneous and extremely impressive outpouring of, of civic activity. Um, but of course, the automatic majority the ruling party has uh, ensured that the bills were passed. And then, to everybody's surprise, the president vetoed two out of three of those bills. Mm-hmm. Now, the president is a political non-entity that was elected because of the peace of the uh, ruling party vote. Uh, and his revolt against his masters stunned everybody. Point is, the president realizes that the iron electorate that votes law and justice is not enough to get him reelected. And we'll have, be having pres- presidential elections in three years. Hmm. He needs to convince a part of the center to support him. And I believe this was the main reason why he acted so disloyally towards his masters. Um, but believing it, that what, pardon? Well, it also seems, as you mentioned earlier, that it was a consequence of this massive kind of uprising and, and civic movement. Well, exactly. He sold the center out on the streets and he realized that if he doesn't convince them, they're lost for him. Um, what the ruling party did not appreciate, uh, and right now we've got a fundamental conflict inside the ruling camp, which is a good thing. Point is, he did pass, I mean, did sign into law the bill uh, that gives the Minister of Justice the right to dismiss and appoint presidents of courts, which gives the ruling party huge power over the judiciary. He didn't veto the third bill because that would mean burning bridges completely with the ruling party without whose support he cannot be elected anyway. So he really needs to balance um, the support he's looking for in the ruling party and in the Polish electorate. And that's an almost impossible job. But Europe, which is outraged with the way that um, the Poles have been conducting their business ever since this party was elected, uh, reacted extremely angrily. Um, the European Commission has sued Poland to the Luxembourg European Court of Justice, uh, saying that this new law subverts the independence of EU judges, since we are in the EU, our judges are EU judges. And I believe that the Luxembourg Court will very quickly uh, issue an injunction ordering Poland to freeze this measure until the court can consider um, whether it is legal or not under EU law. Uh, We already have received such an injunction. In another case, um, the Minister of the Environment has engaged in massive timber operations 
in the national park of Gaudieja Forest, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's like this ancient forest, it, right? That's like a cherished uh, you know, World Heritage Site, as you said. It is the last uh, remain, what, what remains of the European primeval forest. It is a natu- national treasure. It's, it is part of the World Heritage Sites. And um, the Minister of the Environment is chopping down trees for material gain. It is um, as simple as it gets. And we've just received an injunction um, from the court in Luxembourg ordering us to freeze that timber operations immediately. And they're continued. I mean, we, this is for the first time in the history of the EU, a member state has completely endure, uh, ignored legal orders from the European Court of Justice. And, and the European Court of Well, I'm saying like this, this, this dynamic seems to be a manifestation of what you just described as the, the ruling party just wanting to create these frictions with the European Union. Yeah. Point is, the, the court can impose penalties for noncompliance up to 300,000 euro a day and since Poland obviously will not pay those penalties, um, they will be then deducted um, from the EU contributions um, to the structural funds uh, made available to Poland, mm-hmm. uh, which will cost us severely. Uh, more importantly, uh, if Poland is seen as a country in legal conflict with the rest of the EU, uh, investors' confidence in uh, investing in Poland will start to wane. And um, this party has inherited an economy in excellent shape from its hated predecessors, the liberals from Civic Platform. They can wreck it the way they've wrecked already our reputation inside the EU. Unfortunately, um, these, this damage is almost irreparable. Um, can I ask... Uh... Looking at, at how the United States and, and Donald Trump is interacting with this situation, obviously he gave a major speech in, in Poland in his visit to Europe that, um, you know, that played to kind of nationalist sentiment. And, and I, I'm wondering if you have identified any sort of like Trump effect in, in Poland that is the kind of green light or that, that might be given to these kind of liberal uh, policies that are being undertaken by the Polish government, where you probably in, in previous you know instances you wouldn't have seen uh, a U.S. president do something like Donald Trump did in during his visit to Poland. But I'm wondering if if you think that the Polish government sees uh, Donald Trump as giving them a green light to to move forward with some of these illiberal policies. Well, they very clearly see Trump as doing it. Furthermore, he really has. A um, year ago, when President Obama was in Poland for the NATO summit, he very clearly warned the Polish government that the U.S. considers unacceptable the assault on the Constitutional Court, which was then underway. Um, this time, the, this president, speaking almost in front of the building of the Supreme Court, didn't even mention the courts, let alone anything else of the tremendous success that Poland has made ever since it um, was able to overthrow the communist system, as if this didn't matter. Um, The government would have to be deaf and blind um, if it were not to take this as a green light to continue 
he actually bantered with our president um, about his problems with the media. And he says, I understand you've got problems with the media here as well. Well, yes, mercifully, um, there still is a free media. Um, I don't know for how long, but um, we we're still fighting the good fight. Frankly, it was um, extremely painful to see the two presidents joking at our expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at the same time, uh, at least the Polish government is doing what it can to destroy the very existence of free media. So yes, this is a green light. Point is, the Polish government seems also to believe that because Trump has given us a green light, um, we enjoy some kind of special relationship with, with Washington, which is nonsense. Um, I can't imagine Warsaw looming large in Trump's world strategy or Trump going out of his way to defend our interests. And even if he did give lip service to Article 5, um, which was extremely desirable, it is a sorry state of affairs in which we consider it positive that the U.S. president confirms American loyalty to NATO. Right? We... <laughs> had become used to expect more. Mm-hmm. Well, Constantine, is there, maybe before I let you go, one, one final question. Is there um, like a, a move that the government of Poland might make in the near or medium term that would suggest to you that things are really spiraling in, in a profoundly wrong direction, perhaps uh, irreversibly so? Uh I expect uh, the assault on the judiciary to continue, um, combined with an assault on private free media since um, state media have already been muzzled, and an attack on NGOs along the lines of the anti-NGO laws passed in Russia, Hungary, and Turkey. And Egypt. Um, And Egypt, sure. But um, it's... Usually, we do not think we did not think of Poland as being in the same league as um, an Egypt ruled by this or that brutal dictator. We will have to reconsider. Uh, I think that the red line really would be if the government uses violence. It has not done it so far, mainly because it knows it cannot count on the police, and that. Um, the peaceful development of Polish democracy after 89, which has gone beyond anybody's expectations, certainly mine, is a, a national treasure. If the government uses violence, this will mean that the red line has been passed. Well, let's certainly hope that that does not happen. Thank you very much to Constantine. Thank you all for listening. And this is great. Very helpful conversation. As I said earlier, I learned a lot about the current situation in Poland, and I suspect you did too. Stay tuned for more great episodes coming up in September and also August. This is still August, but we have uh, some, some really good episodes lined up this fall. I'm very excited, so stay tuned. And as always, if you want to get in touch with me, just go to globaldispatchespodcast.com, click on the contact button, and let me know what's on your mind. I do love hearing suggestions for people I should interview or topics I should cover, so send them my way. All right, see you soon. Bye.
The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of Humanity in Action.